Hey, it's Phil Simon. My new book is out now. It is called The Nine, The Tectonic Forces Reshaping the Workplace. It's my best work to date, and I hope that you'll check it out. Thanks. Fried cheese with club sauce. Popcorn shrimp with club sauce. Chicken fingers. Stop it, you're making me dizzy. With spicy club sauce. I mean, stop it. Conversations about collaboration, episode 56. Dr. Sahar Youssef of Berkeley and Josh Zirkel of Asana join me. We talk about work about work, the role technology plays in employee burnout, intentionality, trust, and clarity. Let's light this candle. Josh and Sahar, live from San Francisco. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well. Excited to be here. Yeah. Let's bust right in. I am fascinated by the work that you've done and, and the studies about the anatomy of work. And my, as I was telling Josh before the call, my only regret is that you didn't release this a year ago because I could have quoted it in my book. Um, first, let's talk uh, maybe, Sahar, about work about work. What do you mean by that? It sounds very meta. Mm, work about work is, is, a, is a phrase that's been used not just by me, but um, by lots of different folks to describe pretty much collaboration. It's collaboration and communication, the two C's that we need to have. It's the sandwich materials around the the actual meat of work, which is I need to come up with something. I got to do a task, but in order to get this meat, it's the, the the meatball is the focused work and the the sandwich is the bread. (laughs) Work about work is essentially sandwich bread. I'm not saying we can't have it or or it's unnecessary because if you're going to order a meatball sub, you need bread, but it doesn't need to be more than 50% of the actual sandwich experience. Mm-hmm. So would it be fair to say that we should all strive to be more keto in our work? <laughs> Maybe not 100% keto, but uh, I, it would just it li- like with nutrition, all things in moderation and a nice healthy balance is usually the best way to go. <laughs> You can tell that I'm just hungry, Phil. That's really what's going on. <laughs> Let's talk about balance because one of the stats that jumped out for me, Josh, is 60, 26, and 14. And I, I find it fascinating because I've never tracked my own work in that way. Um, and when I was a consultant, it would all be billable, whether you were doing really cool stuff or really boring stuff, mm-hmm. right? But um, it's just a fascinating number. Maybe you could break that down a little bit for the listeners. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think the key one to look at is really the 60%. That's what the study shows is spent on work about work 60% of the time. To me, it's super alarming because none of us are hired for our jobs to do the work about work. Like Sahar said, it's essential that it gets done. But when the bulk of our time starts tilting away from what it is that we're there to do, our core value in what we offer towards spending time in meetings, looking for work that we can't easily find when we're we're searching, emails, busy work, all of the, I think of it as work overhead. When the work overhead starts to become the bulk of your day, that is when you, it's on us to start really looking at how can we better use our time? Because those are the days like when I've gone home and I'm like, what did I do today? 
I can't remember what I did. Did I do anything of value? And all of us have those from time to time. But when we start looking at, is most of my time actually going towards this, as our studies have shown, that's when we as as knowledge workers need to start thinking about being more deliberate about how we work together, how we collaborate. Hmm. One of my theories on the tendency for management to allow workers in many cases to do all this low value work, and Sahar, I'd love to get your thoughts on this, is that you're an exempt employee, right? So whether you're working one hour or 101 hours, you're pretty much making X number of dollars per year. One of my theories is that if you magically made everyone eligible for overtime, you'd see many organizations invest in more contemporary tech. Am I crazy? Uh, no, I think you're you're pretty spot on there. Uh, that would that's been it. <laughs> Phil's excited. He's happy to be right. Who's not? <laughs> it only happens once every month or so, so I got to cherish it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know about um, the two of you, but um, I have a bit of background in consulting work, and uh, the the model that I usually likes to like to poke at when I'm speaking to executive teams, and we're talking about let's just say organizational behavior. We're talking about the work about work. We're talking about why we need to overhaul meeting culture, uh, et cetera. I like to flip the model and say, listen, listen, listen. Hypothetically speaking, if every single one of your W-2 employees were now consultants that you're paying hourly, (laughs) how many, would you really be inviting 12 people to an hour long meeting to discuss project X? 12 people? You need Three people from product and two people from finance on this call? Really? No, you you would you would start immediately saying the you would ask yourself what are the minimum number of people that I need in the room right now, right? Because every additional head is money, and that's how I see meetings. I don't know about the two of you, but um, well, this is also work done. A lot of this is pre-COVID, but it has continued in my work during COVID and research during COVID, but. Pre-COVID, when I used to be able to do, you know, fun slash creepy, depending on your perspective, things like walk the floor, like people would invite me into the organizations and I'm just walking around and I'm just, you know, I'm observing um, and uh, you're walking around and I look into these conference rooms and I'm like, wow, 16 execs in that conference room. And I, all I see is I I do a a little guesstimation and I go, I bet at least 50% of these individuals are making over six figures, you know, like a base of six figures and up. And I go, hmm, well, how much money is that? So a 60 minute meeting is now costing you, it's a down payment on a house for you to have a 60 minute meeting. Oh, I better hope that meeting is actually useful enough. Like, tell me what the outcome of that meeting was because that could have literally bought somebody a four bedroom home. So what was the outcome of the meeting? And so I'll pop my head in, I'll see a massive meeting and then I'll show up at the end of that meeting when people are filing, filing out and I'll ask little questions like, oh, who was running that meeting? What were you all meeting about just out of curiosity? And then you figure out that like no one was really running the meeting. Like someone sent the meeting invite out, but they were like, oh, we just needed to meet to discuss a project. It was like, discuss. Well, how do you know you're done discussing? Like, what's the, what's the actual process? So anyway, I could talk your ear off about meetings, but yes, that's the yeah. usual. Usually, Phil, you're pretty much right, is that if you think about this hourly, you start to value every single one of those heads that are in a meeting, how many meetings um, you know we're having in the first place, and the structure of them, right? Which is, I know something Josh, you and I talk about a lot, is that sure, great, have a meeting. We need to connect and talk to each other about a project. But what's the two P's of meetings, purpose and process? What's the purpose? How do we measure success? We're putting 60 minutes on the clock. What does success look like for the end of that 60 minutes? And then second, what's the process? How do we get there? It's kind of like getting in a car. I'm not 16 years old anymore. I'm not going to jump in the car to say, let's go for a drive, baby. Like, right. It's like, tell me where we're going. 
tell me we're going to Trader Joe's and tell me the grocery list I'm going in there with. Like, how do I know it's successful? And then give me Google Maps so I know how to get from A to B and then back home again. I need directions, which is the what I, what I consider, by the way, the agenda to a meeting. That's the agenda is process. Like, how do I get from my house to Trader Joe's and back? And how do I how do we measure success, which is my purpose? Yeah, Josh, Josh, jump in here. Yeah, like, when I see these big meetings, when I'm invited to a meeting where there's like a dozen other people, I want to know exactly what I'm needed there for. And I asked the question and I, I posed the, the thought of, this is a very costly meeting. And I think it's okay to say that if you are an invitee to one of these meetings or you're, you're part of the, the team that's trying to come up with like, who's the laundry list of people we need? We don't need the laundry list. We just need the key people who can make the decisions. And so reiterating to people, especially because if you're working in a place where you're, you're not paid hourly, the concept of your time starts getting detached from money and reminding people that meetings cost money because time is money. And we are all valuing our time in different ways. But if we call it out and say, this meeting is getting really expensive with a dozen people in it, who's really essential to be here? And can we make the meeting shorter? And do we have a written agenda that people can refer to beforehand? Have we stated what the goals and non-goals of this meeting are going to be? And packaging it up well so that when people actually do come, they're prepared. They know what they're expected to bring, whether it's pre-reads or knowledge that they're expected to contribute. And they know what everyone is supposed to walk out of that meeting having decided on. I've gone to so many meetings over the years where I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing there. I'm not sure exactly why we're meeting because no one told me beforehand other than that I received a meeting invite. And I don't know what just happened in the meeting that I was in. So making it really clear what you're there for, and as Sahar said, the, the process is for how the meeting is supposed to work and go is so, so overlooked and super critical, super critical. Yeah, well, you're both talking about being deliberate, whether it's the purpose of the meeting, do I need to be here? And um, Sahar, returning your example for a minute about Trader Joe's, you would never get there if on your way to Trader Joe's, you stopped off at a 7-Eleven or if you live in Pennsylvania at a Wawa and said, oh, you know what, why don't we go to Whole Foods first? Um, it made me think about context switching. And one of the numbers that really stood out to me in the anatomy of work was that people are working in 10 to 25 apps a day. Um, I actually have seen bigger numbers from Okta, and it depends on the size of the company and the number of employees, the industry, but um, I will sometimes use 25 or 30 apps or web services in a day, and I'm just a guy, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? I don't work in purchasing. I don't really work with a proper ERP or CRM system on a daily basis, but uh, maybe Josh, I'll let you go first this time. What um, Talk to me about context switching, and to me, the drawbacks are pretty obvious and pernicious, but uh, for people who don't know about them. Yeah, context switching is really about you not being able to retain or regain easily your focus on your work. When we're switching between tools and apps and receiving notifications, it's really detracting from the core work that we're supposed to do because our focus is no longer on what it is that we had intended to work on. And so having lots of notifications, having many apps that aren't integrated together or that you and your team aren't really clear on the purpose, what each one is supposed to do and how it fits into your tech stack. These are all the things that help work get away from us rather than help us retain control of it and over it. I, I personally am on the quest for utilizing as few tools as possible during the course of my workday. 
This is not an area of work where more is better. This is an area where less is actually a lot better. The fewer tools you and your team have decided on, and by decided, I mean, you've had a conversation and said, we're going to be using this tool for documents. We're going to be using this tool for coordinating our work. And we're going to be using this tool for communication. These three together really are are most of what each team needs, communication, coordination, collaboration. When you have the three C's answered and everyone understands what each one is supposed to do, that's where teams start needing fewer apps and become a lot more efficient. One of the things that I personally do, which a lot of people find surprising, is I've turned off all my notifications for everything. And it puts me back in the driver's seat of my time and my day because I'm a a leader at Asana. I have a lot of meetings and a lot of folks that I work with. For the times when I'm able to sit down and actually do work, focused work, I need to not get distracted. And by putting me back in the driver's seat of, I can go check Slack when I have time. I can go look at my other notifications in Asana when I have time rather than them coming at me. It helps with that sense of overload and context switching. I'm basically on a quest to reduce my contexts and reduce the switching that I need to do between them. And I feel actually a lot more sane (laughs) once I turned off all the notifications, I felt like, oh, I can breathe again. Mm-hmm. I think jump it, yeah. it's terrifying, but it's totally doable. Yeah, I was going to add, I mean, I agree with everything Josh is saying. And how empowering, courageous, and inspiring is it to hear a leader say, I just turn off my notifications? <laughs> so thank you for just going out on a limb and saying that, Josh. Yeah, and, like, and rare. And rare. Oh, yeah. I think just any leader who might be listening to this conversation is probably just get ready to get a lot of messages from people asking you how. Sahar, talk to me more about intentionality. Ooh. So for me, for me, intentionality is really the, it's really the foundation and the heart of addressing so many of the problems that we're describing right now. These are all symptoms of, in my opinion, a lack of intentionality. We've got too many meetings. We're inviting too many people. Why are we doing that? Because the intention of the meeting isn't abundantly clear. I am multitasking. I'm jumping from one tech tool to the next. I'm trying to sit down to do a piece of focused work. I'm actually sitting down to make something, think about something, come up with a strategy, write a document, but I've got my phone out. I've got email open. I've got Slack open. I've got this open, that open. I'm getting pings left and right. Why? If you actually follow that rabbit hole further down enough, you get what I find is a lack of intentionality. You just get this moment of pure, beautiful, childlike blankness where if you are sitting there, if I could be a little miniature on someone's shoulder and I could just whisper in their ear, what are you doing right now? Then the person goes like, oh, and it's you don't let them answer, well, I'm trying to do X. And, and it's like, well, great. If you're trying to do X, then why is your inbox open? Then why are the pings on? Because those are not related to X. So really for me, if we can get someone's mindset to start to veer towards intentionality, everything with intention. And listen, when you want to get into that inbox, you want to become, you want to get, you want to do Slack, then do Slack. Like really do it. Like I'm talking like, 
crank up your EDM music and like block everything else out and just be like, be in Slack, like slide in there and just crank through your messages with intentionality, with fervor, with purpose. And then when it's time to not be in Slack, close that thing down and go really with intentionality hard in a different direction. That's again, that's my, my two cents on intentionality. Yeah. Let me throw out one thing to kind of split the baby and, and I'm with you, right? Be in the moment, focus on what you're doing. Flow state, Mikhail Chick sent me high. I think that's how you pronounce it. Took me yeah. a long time to get there. Um, to the extent that we can stitch together these tools into one cohesive gestalt, that's basically the premise behind my new book. I'd argue it makes it a lot easier because then I don't have to go into seven different apps and hit do not disturb. If I have them all tied to Slack or Teams or Zoom or whatever, then I hit do not disturb or I just quit the freaking app and all my notifications are in one place. Um, but so few people do that in my experience and they think, well, I'm not a techie. Well, you don't have to be a techie. It's built in. Can you install an app on your phone? Josh, you're nodding your head. Take this one. Yeah, I think it has less to do with the how. I think that... The I can't make it happen. I can't make it work. A lot of those questions have been answered. Like the integrations are very seamless. So I, I think the how is an excuse as to why people don't do it. I think they're just afraid. I think they're afraid of missing out on an important message or there's an inflated sense of self-importance. People need me. What if people need me in the moment? Okay, let's detangle that a bit. Because if I think about my week, I can't think of a single moment a single instance where my team needed me so much that it couldn't have waited an hour or two. As I check my messages, it's not like I don't go into my inboxes and look to see what's new, but I don't need them coming to me. I want to go to them. And so I check my messages regularly throughout the day, which is a more proactive approach to managing all of the different notifications and, and things that we might get. And so for me, I, I've turned everything off, as I'd mentioned, but it did take some detangling for me of saying to myself, you know, I have a team. I trust them. They will be okay without me responding immediately. And I will get back to them during the course of the business day. And I've let them know we've talked about expectations around how fast we are expected to turn around messages to each other. So they know that unless something is super urgent, I probably won't get back to them right away. It might take me a few hours and that's okay. And in that amount of time, they may come up with solutions themselves to challenges or questions or problems. And so for me, it's really been about, and this is what I encourage people to do as well, is really reposition your level of importance for all the notifications that you might re receive and revisit how urgently you actually are needed. I think because of the way that not just social media, but especially social media has conditioned us to that Pavlovian level of response. We, we've taken that and pulled that storyline through how we do our work also. And the truth is very, very few of us are needed that urgently for anything. And as soon as we come to a place of being okay with that, we can then focus less on the fear and focus, focus more on how will we get these things under control? Right. Well, you're talking about FOMO. Uh, you're talking about this need to be at the center of our own universes. But you're also talking about two other things uh, in the anatomy study that I thought were really complementary towards the tech. Trust and clarity. Right? If I'm not clear with my team that I'll get back to them in an hour, I'm not blowing them off. Or conversely, if I respond immediately, then it might be a matter of not trusting them. 
I mean, I hate to say that it's all interrelated, but to me, it's not just a tech issue. I don't know. What do you think, Sahar? I was I was actually going to say the exact same thing. This Great is- minds, baby. <laughs> it's, I was going to say this is it's what I what I hear the the undertones with expected response times, right? SLAs, things things of the sort, is actually fear. I think that's actually the heart, right? These are like t- two basic human emotions: love and fear. Desire and fear. And I think this is all about anxiety and fear. And I think if, again, let's go, like I, my, again, my humble opinion, when you keep going down these rabbit holes, you get to these really beautiful, pure childlike statements that come out of like big, big, scary executives. And if you ask somebody, why do you have all of these tech tools open and communication tools open perpetually while you're trying to, let's say, for example, come up with strategy for 2022? Simple question, right? And then you get like, well, uh, fires might come in through, uh, huh? You just, if you keep asking the questions and you follow that rabbit hole down, you finally get to, and then you get to what Josh was was talking about, which is, you know, um, what if they need me, right? What if somebody needs me? My assumption is that people need me and then, and I won't be there to answer them. And then you just say sort of, and then what? And then what? And then what? why you keep asking and poking, you finally get to this very, again, pure, beautiful, childlike feeling of, well, then that means I'm not all that important. And people will find out. Or what if I don't answer fast enough, and then the rest of the people in the sandbox won't like me anymore? Everybody else is being responsive. If I'm the only one not being responsive immediately, then that means I'm going to be the mean one or I'm going to be the bad one. I don't want to be the bad one. That, and these are, I'm talking about executives. You finally get to these childlike statements of, well, one, a fear of not being important, a fear of not being needed. And then if people figure that out, does that mean I'm on the chopping block? And the second is just a fear of not being liked. It's just so simple. And so again, so like, I think if we position it, like, let's not demonize it. These are sweet human desires and fears that it's basic human emotion. But until you address the emotions and until you address the, I would say the, hmm, the risk of triggering those emotions, we're not really going to get at a good solution or a sustainable one for that matter. It makes all the sense to me. I know that in my consulting days, I'd send out, this is pre-Slack, pre-Teams, whatever, um, a deck of a presentation to seven partners. And of course, they all had to chime in. And version 37 looked a lot like version one. But of course, everyone had to chime in because otherwise, it's like they were invisible. Yeah. There's just a need for people to feel like, I need people to see me contributing. I, I can't just contribute in a way that feels right for me and for my team. I need people to see it happening. And because of the nature of how work flows right now, a lot of that needing to feel that being seen feels like it needs to be seen instantly. And it really, really doesn't. But you have to detangle yourself from those emotions in order to put yourself in the driver's seat of that. It kind of reminds me of something I just saw from the Slack Frontiers conference a couple of weeks ago. And I'm a big fan of it. Sounds like you guys are as well. They're working on tools to measure productivity. So I can envision a future, and this is kind of how I conclude my new book, in which it's a little bit like that movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix by Spike Jones, the guy who falls in love with the operating system. Mm-hmm. Is it possible 
that we could see tech give us these nudges, right? Well, hey, Phil, that really wasn't a valuable response, right? Or over time learns that I am the first person to chime in in a Slack channel and whether or not, again, not that it's the only solution, but it could perhaps train us that, you know what, you might want to let other people chime in for once in a while. I, I can't imagine that that's impossible. And I could see how it would be useful, again, not as a replacement, but maybe as a complement. Microsoft really does lead um, a, a great deal of these kinds of, uh, let's call them data analytics tools um, and research. I wouldn't even want to call them tools, but research on things like average response time uh, to how heavily are your comments responded to directly, for example, which maybe that is going to be the proxy with which we measure, was that response really all that valuable? Was it was it dicey? Did it actually help course correct or contribute meaningfully the the trajectory of where this you know message or communication really went? Um, so I, I'm curious to see if data is enough to change behavior. So I guess what I'm saying is, Phil, yes, and I would yes, I'd love to see that data. I'm super excited about it. Let's get data analytics. Data is always, a, I'm pro data always pretty much. So information can't hurt. It is always going to be useful, but I do wonder, and I, and I, out of curiosity, if the data will be enough, because if you tell somebody, listen, you're the first to respond, is that supposed to be good or bad information? Because right. if you don't educate somebody enough about all of these other things that we're talking about, then they might say like, hell yeah, of course I am. Damn straight. I will continue to be the first to respond unnecessarily to everything. Right. Are you the first to respond in a group of three versus a group of 300, right? Or is the person getting the response very high in the organization? So there's more of a tendency to go, oh, well, the director of X or the CXO said Y, so we all better chime in. Um, yeah, it's complicated because it, information is always good. And I think this is a tech solution to a corporate socio-political and individually emotionally centric problem. And so I'm always hesitant when there's a tech solution or a proposed one where it involves anything that involves any sort of human emotion, because historically tech has not been successful in this particular area, at least not in the positive. And so I think pairing data with, I don't know if it's training or just awareness building around, again, it's like the, here's how we work and why we work a certain way that no one has ever taught really how to do. And I think there's some of that really basic level of, if we want to work together effectively, here's how we do it. Here's how you show up as an individual. Here's how we show up as a team. Here's the norms that we've agreed upon. I think once you've done all of that work, then the tech and the information that comes from pulling data from it can be incredibly helpful, but they need to be paired together. Couldn't agree more. I could talk to both of you for hours, but I know that we're running up against our limit. So I'll get both of you out here on this. I'll ask you first, Sahar, what book are you currently reading? Ooh, that might be potentially relevant. You know, it could be not. I'm reading Tinderbox, a thousand page oral history on HBO, which has absolutely nothing to do with the future of work, but it just seemed like an interesting read. And God knows I watch a lot of HBO. I love it. Um, there is a book that was recommended to me and I'll give you the name of it in just a second. It was something, it's the X, X thousand hours. Um, and I'm actually, I think that we should have a book club guys, uh, gentlemen. Um, but it was, uh, recommended to me, um, by a good friend that I, uh, absolutely, 
uh, respect. And the recommendation was it, it kind of, it's a flipped model around prioritization and time and task management. Um, I'll, so I'll it's Oliver it. something, right? It has the yellow lettering. Or yes, something. I think I know which one you're talking one. about. Yeah. It's in the mail. It's coming to me. So you've read it. Do you recommend? I did not read it. I read a review of it. So okay. I sometimes have to take a step back from all this stuff because I, I like to be informed, but then uh, there's another part of my brain that wants to feed itself. Uh, Josh, what about you? Yeah. So I, I just finished one that has absolutely nothing to do with work. And then I have one on my list that will. So I'll, I'll share them both. Um, the one I just finished was called Le Freak. It's the autobiography of Nile Rogers, who is from the band Chic and is a, a okay. influence on music, especially from the 70s and the 80s. And this autobiography is just completely bonkers, insane, and very entertaining to read. Again, nothing to do with work. And then the one that's next on my reading list is actually directly related to productivity. Um, it's called 50 Secrets of Singapore's Success. And for those who don't know or who have never been, Singapore is like the utopia of productivity it, in some ways and in other ways, utterly terrifying to some. Um, but it's definitely interesting whichever way you slice it. And so I'm very much looking forward to, it's like a series of essays that they've collected together from different experts and their take on what has made what was 50 years ago, um, basically a, a farmland in the swamp to one of the most powerful nations in the world. Good stuff. Josh, Sahar, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. This was a blast. Absolutely. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time. Remember that these episodes drop every Tuesday. However, if you'd like early access to them, you're in luck. I've launched a Patreon page for this podcast at, wait for it, patreon.com forward slash Phil Simon. I've set up a number of different tiers, including early access and podcast sponsorships. Thanks for listening to Conversations About Collaboration. If you like what you heard, then how can you not? Please download, like, and or subscribe. See you next time.